Chapter 4 of the Story of Young Abraham Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dina Rhodes. The Story of Young Abraham Lincoln by Wayne Whipple. Chapter 4 Learning to Work. The little Lincoln boy learned to help his father and mother as soon as he could, picking berries, dropping seeds, and carrying water for the men to drink. The farm at Knob Creek seems to have been a little more fertile than the other two places on which his father had chosen to live. Once while living in the White House, President Lincoln was asked if he could remember his old Kentucky home. He replied with considerable feeling, I remember that old home very well. Our farm was composed of three fields. It lay in the valley, surrounded by high hills and deep gorges. Sometimes, when there came a big rain in the hills, the water would come down through the gorges and spread all over the farm. The last thing I remember of doing there was one Saturday afternoon. The other boys planted the corn in what we called the big field. It contained seven acres, and I dropped the pumpkin seed. I dropped two seeds in every other row and every other hill. The next Sunday morning there came a big rain in the hills. It did not rain a drop in the valley, but the water, coming through the gorges, washed the ground, corn, pumpkin seeds, and all clear off the field. Although this was the last thing Lincoln could remember doing on that farm, it is not at all likely that it was the last thing he did there, for Thomas Lincoln was not the man to plant corn in a field he was about to leave. The Lincolns moved away in the fall. Another baby boy was born at Knob Creek Farm, a puny, pathetic little stranger. When this baby was about three years old, the father had to use his skill as a cabinet maker in making a tiny coffin, and the Lincoln family wept over a lonely little grave in the wilderness. About this time, Abe began to learn lessons in practical patriotism. Once, when Mr. Lincoln was asked what he could remember of the War of 1812, he replied, Nothing but this. I had been fishing one day, and caught a little fish which I was taking home. I met a soldier on the road, and having been told at home that we must be good to the soldiers, I gave him my fish. An old man, Major Alexander Simpson, who lived not far from the Lincolns at this period, left this description of a mere spindle of a boy, in one of his earliest attempts to defend himself against odds while waiting at the neighboring mill while a grist was being ground. He was the shyest, most reticent, most uncouth and awkward-appearing, homeliest and worst-dressed of any in the crowd. So superlatively wretched a butt could not hope to look on long unmolested. He was attacked one day as he stood near a tree by a larger boy with others at his back, but the crowd was greatly astonished when little Lincoln soundly thrashed the first, the second, and third boy in succession, and then, placing his back against the tree, he defied the whole crowd and told them they were a lot of cowards. Evidently, Father Tom, who enjoyed quite a reputation as a wrestler, had given the small boy a few lessons in the manly art of self-defense. Meanwhile, the little brother and sister were learning still better things at their mother's knee, alternately hearing and reading stories from the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress, Aesop's Fables, Robinson Crusoe, and other books, 
common now, but rare enough in the backwoods in those days. There were hard times, even in the wilderness of Kentucky after the War of 1812. Slavery was spreading, and Thomas and Nancy Lincoln heartily hated that relic of barbarism. To avoid witnessing its wrongs, which made it harder for self-respecting white men to rise above the class referred to with contempt in the South as poor white trash, Tom Lincoln determined to move farther north and west, and deeper into the wilds. It is sometimes stated that Abraham Lincoln belonged to the indolent class known as poor whites, but this is not true. Shiftless and improvident though his father was, he had no use for that class of white slaves, who seemed to fall even lower than the blacks. There was trouble, too, about the title to much of the land in Kentucky, while Indiana offered special inducements to settlers in that new territory. In his carpenter work, Thomas Lincoln had learned how to build a flatboat, and had made at least one trip to New Orleans on a craft which he himself had put together. So when he finally decided in the fall of 1816 to emigrate to Indiana, he at once began to build another boat, which he launched on the Rolling Fork at the mouth of Knob Creek, about half a mile from his own cabin. He traded his farm for what movable property he could get, and loaded his craft with that and his carpenter tools. Waving goodbye to his wife and two children, he floated down the Rolling Fork, Salt River, and out into the Ohio River, which proved too rough for his shaky craft, and it soon went to pieces. After fishing up the carpenter tools and most of his other effects, he put together a crazy raft which held till he landed at Thompson's Ferry, Perry County, in southern Indiana. Here he unloaded his raft, left his valuables in the care of a settler named Posey, and journeyed on foot through the woods to find a good location. After trudging about sixteen miles, blazing a trail, he found a situation which suited him well enough, he thought. Then he walked all the way back to the Kentucky home they were about to leave. He found his wife with Sarah, aged nine, and Abraham, aged seven, ready to migrate with him to a newer wilderness. The last thing Nancy Lincoln had done before leaving their old home was to take the brother and sister for a farewell visit to the grave of the little boy that died. Over in Indiana The place the father had selected for their home was a beautiful spot. They could build their cabin on a little hill sloping gently down on all sides. The soil was excellent, but there was one serious drawback. There was no water fit to drink within a mile. Thomas Lincoln had neglected to observe this most important point while he was prospecting. His wife, or even little Abe, would have had more common sense. That was one reason why Thomas Lincoln, though a good man who tried hard enough at times, was always poor and looked down upon by his thrifty neighbors. Instead of taking his wife and children down the three streams by boat, as he had gone, the father borrowed two horses of a neighbor and packed through to Posey's, where he had left his carpenter tools and the other property he had saved from the wreck of his raft. Abe and Sarah must have enjoyed the journey, especially camping out every night on the way. The father's skill as a marksman furnished them with tempting suppers and breakfasts of wild game. On the horses they packed their bedding and the cooking utensils they needed while on the journey and for use after their arrival at the new home. This stock was not large, for it consisted only of one oven and lid, one skillet and lid, and some tinware. After they came to Posey's, 
Thomas Lincoln hired a wagon and loaded it with the effects he had left there, as well as the bedding and the cooking things they had brought with them on the two horses. It was a rough wagon ride, jolting over stumps, logs, and roots of trees. An earlier settler had cut out a path for a few miles, but the rest of the way required many days, for the father had to cut down trees to make a rough road wide enough for the wagon to pass. It is not likely that Abe and Sarah minded the delays, for children generally enjoy new experiences of that sort. As for their mother, she was accustomed to all such hardships. She had learned to take life as it came and make the best of it. Nancy Lincoln needed all her Christian fortitude in that Indiana home, if such a place could be called a home. At last they reached the chosen place, in the fork made by Little Pigeon Creek, emptying into Big Pigeon Creek about a mile and a half from a settlement which was afterward called Gentryville. As it was late in the fall, Thomas Lincoln decided not to wait to cut down big trees and hew logs for a cabin, so he built a half-faced camp, or shed, enclosed on three sides for his family to live in that winter. As this shed was made of saplings and poles, he put an axe in Abe's hand, and the seven-year-old boy helped his father build their first home in Indiana. It was Abe's first experience in the work that afterward made him famous as the rail splitter. It was with the axe, as it were, that he hewed his way to the White House and became President of the United States. Of course, little Abe Lincoln had no idea of the White House then. He may never have heard of the President's Palace, as it used to be called, for the White House was then a gruesome, blackened ruin, burned by the British in the War of 1812. President Madison was living in a rented house nearby, while the executive mansion was being restored. The blackened stone walls, left standing after the fire, were painted white, and on that account the President's mansion came to be known as the White House. Little Abe, without a thought of his great future, was getting ready for it by hacking away at poles and little trees and helping his father in the very best way he knew. It was not long, then, before the half-faced camp was ready for his mother and sister to move into. Then there was the water question. Dennis Hanks afterwards said, Tom Lincoln riddled his land like a honeycomb, trying to find good water. In the fall and winter they caught rainwater, or melted snow and strained it, but that was not very healthful at best. So Abe and Sarah had to go a mile to a spring and carry all the water they needed to drink and when there had been no rain for a long time, all the water they used for cooking and washing had to be brought from there, too. When warmer weather came, after their long and dreary winter of shivering in that poor shed, the camp did not seem so bad. Thomas Lincoln soon set about building a warmer and more substantial cabin. Abe was now eight years old and had had some practice in the use of the axe, so he was able to help his father still more by cutting and hewing larger logs for the new cabin. They got it ready for the family to move into before cold weather set in again. They had to make their own furniture also. The table and chairs were made of puncheon, or slabs of wood, with holes bored under each corner to stick the legs in. Their bedsteads were poles fitted into holes bored in logs in the walls of the cabin, and the protruding ends supported by poles or stakes driven into the ground for Tom Lincoln had not yet laid the puncheon floor of their cabin. Abe's bed was a pile of dry leaves laid in one corner of the loft to which he climbed by means of a ladder of pegs driven into the wall instead of stairs. 
Their surroundings were such as to delight the heart of a couple of carefree children. The forest was filled with oaks, beeches, walnuts, and sugar maple trees growing close together and free from underbrush. Now and then there was an open glade called a prairie or lick, where the wild animals came to drink and disport themselves. Game was plentiful. Deer, bears, pheasants, wild turkeys, ducks, and birds of all kinds. This, with Tom Lincoln's passion for hunting, promised good things for the family to eat, as well as bearskin rugs for the bare earth floor and deerskin curtains for the still open door and window. There were fish in the streams and wild fruits and nuts of many kinds to be found in the woods during the summer and fall. For a long time the corn for the corn dodgers, which they baked in the ashes, had to be ground by pounding or in primitive hand mills. Potatoes were about the only vegetable raised in large quantities, and pioneer families often made the whole meal of roasted potatoes. Once when his father had asked the blessing over an ashy heap of this staple, Abe remarked that they were mighty poor blessings. But there were few complaints. They were all accustomed to that way of living, and they enjoyed the free and easy life of the forest. Their only reason for complaint was because they had been compelled to live in an open shed all winter, and because there was no floor to cover the damp ground in their new cabin. No oiled paper for their one window, and no door swinging in the single doorway, yet the father was carpenter and cabinet maker. There is no record that Nancy Lincoln, weak and ailing though she was, demurred even at such needless privations. About the only reference to this period of their life that has been preserved for us was in an odd little sketch in which Mr. Lincoln wrote of himself as he. A few days before the completion of his eighth year, in the absence of his father, a flock of wild turkeys approached the new log cabin, and Abraham, with a rifle gun standing inside, shot through a crack and killed one of them. He has never since pulled a trigger on any larger game. Though shooting was the principal sport of the youth and their fathers in Lincoln's younger days, Abe was too kind to inflict needless suffering upon any of God's creatures. He had real religion in his loving heart. Even as a boy, he seemed to know that he prayeth best who loveth best all things, both great and small. For the dear God that loveth us, he made and loveth all. End of chapter 4